Revelation chapter 22 and verse number 7. Behold, I come quickly. Blessed is he that keepeth the sayings of the prophecy of this book. And I, John, saw these things and heard them. When I heard and seen, I fell down to worship before the feet of the angel which showed me these things. Then saith he unto me, See thou do it not, for I am thy fellow servant and of thy brethren, the prophets, and of them which keep the sayings of this book, worship God. He saith unto me, Seal not the sayings of the prophecy of this book, for the time is at hand. He that is unjust, let him be unjust still. And he which is filthy, let him be filthy still. And he that is righteous, let him be righteous still. And he that is holy, let him be holy still. And behold, I come quickly, and my reward is with me to give every man according as his work shall be. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. Blessed are they that do his commandments, that they may have right to the tree of life and may enter in through the gates into the city. For without are dogs and sorcerers and whoremongers and murderers and idolaters and whosoever loveth and maketh a lie. I, Jesus, have sent mine angel to testify unto you these things in the churches. I'm the root and the offspring of David and the bright and morning star and the spirit and the bride say come. And let him that heareth say come. And let him that is a thirst come. And whosoever will, let him take the water of life freely. For I testify unto every man that heareth the words of the prophecy of this book. If any man shall add unto these things, God shall add unto him the plagues that are written in this book. And if any man shall take away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part out of the book of life and out of the holy city and from the things which are written in this book. He which testifieth these things saith, Surely I come quickly. Amen. Even so, come Lord Jesus. You may be seated. We begin dealing with the challenge of Christ's coming. And the Bible reveals to us that Jesus is returning. The book of the Revelation is the capstone of the scripture and the grand prophetic masterpiece that closes the book of God's revelation. It's given to unveil Jesus Christ and to unfold future things. Now, I'm not going to recap everything that I preached last week. I do want to say the importance of his coming was dealt with and how that the Bible reveals even in this book, not only the rapture that is Christ is coming for his bride, but also the revelation when Jesus comes back with his bride and with the army that he has in heaven. And then we dealt with the imminence of his coming. In fact, throughout this chapter, there are three announcements in Revelation chapter 22 and verse number seven. Behold, I come quickly. Verse number 12, and behold, I come quickly. And then the last statement of Christ from glory concerning his coming in Revelation 22 and verse number 20. 
And so throughout this chapter, our Lord seems to be indelibly writing on the tables of our heart the fact that he is coming. We dealt with the suddenness of it, how that the word quickly means speedily or with haste or without delay. And so the Bible tells us Christ is coming suddenly and his coming to some will be a surprise. In fact, you and I will not be surprised at his coming. Our Lord is coming upon the world as a thief. He is coming upon the unwitting world as a thief in the night. He is not coming for me as a thief. He's coming for me as a bride comes for his bridegroom. I am looking for him. I'm longing for him. And then we dealt finally in the first part of this section as we're studied together about the severity of his coming from verse number 11 of chapter 22. How that decisions made here will affect our eternal destiny. Did you know that one day you and I are going to have to give an account for the service we're sitting in? The words that I preach and the truth that I declare, I'll have to give an account to God for the preaching about the return of Jesus Christ. And in turn, you will have to give an account for the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ and what you knew about his coming, how you responded to it. And tonight we know that there is no sign and there is no prediction. There is no prophecy. There is nothing else left to be fulfilled before Jesus returns. There's been a great deal of fervor about the rebuilding of the temple in Israel. And Ezekiel talks about a tribulation temple. There's some that even made the coming of Christ contingent upon the rebuilding of the temple in Jerusalem. I want to say there's not one shred of evidence of that in God's word. You better not be waiting on a brick to be laid or a window to be placed. You better be looking for the Lord Jesus Christ to come at any moment. And yet the Bible tells us that his coming will be an intervention of God. It will set in motion the final details of prophecy. That's why I believe there's not only a shout, but there'll also be a trumpet sound. And that trumpet sound will declare to the spirit world that the final stages of the battle of the ages will take place. Now Christ stepped out of eternity and he stepped into time. The Bible said, but when the fullness of the time was come, God sent for his son made of a woman, made under the law to redeem them that were under the law. Can I say this? He stepped out of eternity and stepped into time at the exact time that God planned for him to. And he's going to step back into time from the glory world at the exact time that God said for him to come. He's going to set in motion the final aspects of prophecy and he's coming for his own is indeed an intervention. It's going to be an intervention for you and I. God is going to change our vile body that it may be like unto his glorious body. And when I got to singing just a little bit ago about I've got a mansion, I visualize in my mind, Miss Pat, waving to us from the other side. I'm already home. I've already got my mansion. I found out what it's like to be in the glory world. I want to say tonight, hallelujah, that Jesus will return for us one day. 
And so in this chapter, as we culminate what God has given us, there's a necessary invitation. I'm glad among the last things in this chapter, the last Beatitudes, the last mention of the Bema Seat, the last warnings and the last promise, the last prayer, the last amen among the last things that are found in this chapter is the last invitation for people to come to Christ. I believe that a preacher ought to preach like he's preaching the last time he'll ever preach. I believe he ought to preach as a dying man among dying men, as those that could step from this service into eternity. But there is in Revelation 22, the final invitation for people to come to Christ. Aren't you glad that God is still inviting people to come to his son? He still got the door open as he had the door open for seven days. In the days of Noah, God left the door open for seven days. He's still calling tonight. You may not be on board yet. Oh, there came a time where in Genesis chapter seven that the Bible said the Lord set him in. And Noah got on and his sons got on. His family got on. And there came a time when God shut the door. Oh, I'm glad tonight that the door is still open. I'm glad tonight that in this day of grace that God is still inviting those that are without Christ to come to him. And the Bible tells us that this last invitation is a cooperative effort between the bride and the spirit of God. Now look at what the Bible said. The scripture said, and the spirit and the bride say come. You know why it's so important to be a witness? It's because the Holy Ghost is gonna take the Holy Scriptures and speak a word for Christ on behalf of him through those that already know him. It's our responsibility to cooperate with the Holy Ghost and be a witness for Christ, the Spirit and the Bride. It's just as important for you to make available your lips to be used of God. It's just as important for you to speak a word on Christ's behalf because the Holy Spirit is still reaching out to men. The Holy Spirit is still convicting men of their sins and of righteousness and of judgment. The Holy Holy Spirit is still calling men unto Jesus Christ. Oh, you and I, may we not be disobedient unto the commands of God to be a witness. In fact, the Bible said we are his witnesses of these things. So also is the Holy Ghost whom God hath given to them that obey him. And so the Spirit of God is using the bride and he's imploring the bride. I wonder how long it's been since the Holy Ghost used you to tell anybody about Jesus. Some of us tonight have been sitting in silence. Some of us have been so slack we've not showed up at visitation. Some of us have been so backslid and we're not doing what God wants us to do. You know, I don't understand why people think they can disobey the Bible and act like everything's all right between them and God. So the Holy Ghost is calling us and the Holy Ghost is prompting us to share the gospel of Christ. And then there's a double constraint as well. The spirit and the bride 
God say come. And let him that heareth say come. And that is, uh, let the hearer relay the message of God. Let those who hear this invitation relay the message of God. Oh, I'm glad one day I heard and I'm still been hearing. Thank God I've been to Calvary. I know what it's like to be washed in the blood of the Lamb. I know what it's like to be born of God. I know what it's like to be heaven bound. And I'm still saying to a lost world that Jesus still saves. And his blood washes water than snow. And one day he's stepping forth. Oh, ready or not, here he comes. Let those who hear the invitation be reminded. And as long as there's breath, as long as there's life, as long as there's opportunity, that you and I ought to be relaying the message and telling others about Jesus and warning them that Christ is coming back just like the Bible said. Let him that hear us say, come. And I believe that most of you that come to this church have heard the gospel probably more times than people around the world will ever hear in a lifetime. Oh, may God help us here tonight. We know what the truth is. We know what God said. Why are we sitting in smug and in silence? And we're acting like somehow we're a spiritual expert. I want to know how experienced you are at bringing people to Christ. Oh, Jesus is coming. The only thing's going to matter about your family is not what you say about their condition, but it's what Jesus said from the Bible. That's why I say you better tell them he's coming because he is indeed coming. Let him that hear us say come. And then the Bible said, let him that is a thirst come. Amen. Thank God the thirsty one. Let the hearer relay it. Let the one that is thirsty receive it. Let those that are thirsty, let that one who realizes there is an emptiness on the inside, let that one realize that they are without God and without hope and without the gospel. Listen, I don't want to be the kind of Christian that comes to church when I feel like it. I don't want to be the kind of Christian that comes every once in a while. One preacher said one time, they come three times a year, Christmas, Easter, and buzzards. That is when somebody dies. I don't want to be that kind of Christian. I want to come three times a week. I want to come if they're going to have a cleanup day. I want to come, hallelujah, if all they're going to do is crawl up to an altar and cry out to God. But the call is to the thirsty. Oh, there's so many out there in the world that are perishing for thirst. They're desiring something. They're drinking from the fountains of this world. And yet they need you and I to tell them about the water of life and the bread of life. Oh, that you and I would get busy. Oh, that you and I would get busy inviting people to come to Jesus Christ. Now think about it with me here tonight. The magnitude of this invitation. You know, there's been people that have went to hell that sit on these pews right here at Unity Baptist Church. They've been people that went to hell that preachers had preached behind this pulpit for years and invited them to come to Christ. Some of them had died in a drunken stupor. Some of them died in a drug overdose. Some of them probably died in a car crash somewhere, but they went to hell because they never responded to the gospel and they've been invited. Some of them have been invited multiple times. Their mother invited them. Their grandma tried to witness to them. Their brother, their sister told them about Jesus. Oh, there have been many that have been invited and some of them have not answered the invitation. 
the mercy of it. Oh, the Bible tells us here that God has included a whosoever in this last invitation in the scripture. Oh, I'm thankful that there is whosoever. Hallelujah. That is, it doesn't matter what side of the tracks that you come from. It doesn't matter what your social background is. It doesn't matter what your skin color is or what you've done on your police record. Oh, bless the name of God. There is a whosoever in the gospel and there's a whosoever in this last invitation and whosoever will, let him take the water of life freely. And so there's a whosoever, no sinner need to despire. I've talked to people that have told me, preacher, I can never be saved. I've done this or I've done this. I said, Jesus died for all men and he died for all sins. And he said, whosoever will, let him come and take of the water of life freely. There's an invitation here in God's word. So no sinner need despair. No sinner need despair of acceptance with Christ, yet no procrastinator ought to presume that there's going to be another opportunity. A lot of the people really that we're talking to today in the Bible Belt, all of them know all the language. They can tell you they're saved. In fact, they can tell you the gospel as well as you can tell it to them. They don't have no more desire for God than anybody else in the world. They have no concern about spiritual things. When you come to their house, they look like they're mad at the world because the preacher came by to visit them. They really don't want to hear what he has to say, but they're going to tolerate it for a few minutes until he gets gone, and then they're going to go back to their old worldly lifestyle, and they'll say, oh, I'm saved. I'm just backslid. They're not thinking about their life. They're not thinking about their influence. They're not thinking about their children. They're not thinking about anything. The only thing they're thinking about is getting you off their case. Oh, but I'm telling you one day, Jesus, Jesus is coming. You better not wait around. You better stop playing church. And you better start getting serious about this thing of knowing whether or not you've ever been born again. And so I say don't put it off because God is invited. Don't put it off because time's running out. Don't put it off because Jesus is coming. And then the Bible tells us about the measure of this invitation. Whosoever will, the Bible said, let him come and take The water of life, what's that word? Freely. That is, God has given you the best offer that anybody can give. Nobody's offered an offer like God has. No millionaire could proffer you this kind of amazing offer that is found in the Bible. That God has allowed Jesus to pay your sin debt in full that he's paid for all your sins, past, present, and future, that he died for you at Calvary, that he gave himself a ransom for sinners, that he laid down his life to make sure all the debt of sin, and he cried out from the cross, it is finished. And that he offered it as a free gift of God. And so you and I are here tonight. I have the measure of God's offer freely given that you and I can have the gift of God and eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So I'm preaching tonight first of all about the necessary invitation. And then there are free needed exhortations before John finishes the book here about the challenge of Christ's coming. Are you still with me? Say amen. The Bible said, first of all, here in Revelation chapter 22, that these words are the last words of the Savior from heaven, and those last words are concerning his return. 
So the last words Jesus said from heaven and invested in the last chapter of the Bible are those concerning his return. The last prophecy in the scripture concerns the Savior's return. The testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. In this closing chapter, there is the repeated promise. It is found in verse 7. It is found in verse 12. It is found in verse 20. And every promise has a challenge accompanying with it. That is, you and I can sit around and discuss the Lord's return. And a lot of us would get the feeling like, oh yeah, I know all about that. I've been knowing about that for years. It's not what you know about it. It's what you're doing about it. It's not what's stored up in your mind. It's what's come out in your behavior. And so tonight, the challenge of his coming in verse number seven is related to our responsibility. His coming and our responsibility. The Bible said, behold, I come quickly. Blessed is he that keepeth the sayings of the prophecy of this book. The first promise concerning Christ's return here in the closing passage that we just read reveals the believer's responsibility to keep the word of God. I found out that Baptists, and that's the ones I know more about than anything else. I found out that Baptists think that God has different responsibilities for his people. In other words, I found out that some Baptists believe they ought to come to church and some Baptists believe if they don't want to come to church, they don't have to come to church. And listen, I'm talking about what people call Bible-believing Baptists. You might want to leave off the first two words and just say Baptist. You know, God has never given you or I the permission to disobey the Bible because we're mad about something. God has never given us any leisure for us to disobey one command in the scripture because we don't like something or we're upset about something. And listen, friend, at the judgment seat of Christ, you're going to find out this Bible's not a buffet, but it's a meal for everybody. And the commands of God apply to every single Christian. The coming of Christ should cause us to realize our responsibility to obey the word of God. Every command is for every Christian, amen. Now I want to say this, every responsibility for Christ and every command obligates every believer to obey the Bible. And if you knowingly and willingly disobey the Bible, you know what that's called in the scripture? Rebellion. That's what it's called. Open rebellion. And so when the Bible said, blessed is he that keepeth the sayings of the prophecy of this book, God is underscoring Christian responsibility. The coming of Christ is a purifying hope. If you're really saved and you know the Lord and you believe in his coming, that you ought to desire to live cleaner and cleaner. And not only is it a purifying hope, it's a practical motivator for you and to be diligent in the work of Christ and to be diligent in every practice of the Christian life. And God has given us commands and many of you are not ignorant of these commands, but you're willing to disobey God because you don't feel like it. And I want to say this tonight, God has not given a PS on any command in the Bible and said to you, well, if you don't feel like it, you don't have to do it. Now, you may be at justifying that, but I'm going to tell you at the judgment seat, that's going to go up in smoke like a heap of pine straw. You and I that are here should look to the Bible and see what the Bible said. 
In Philippians chapter 4, verse number 5, here's what the Bible said about this very subject. In light of our Savior's return, Philippians chapter 4 and verse number 5, the scripture said in Philippians 4, 5, let your moderation be known unto all men. The Lord is at hand. That is, we are to keep control of our life. There's something about this term moderation that talks about our own self-control, the discipline of our flesh, and the control of the old sin nature. There are going to be times an impulse is going to rise in you, and you're going to want to do something that's not right. And the Bible tells us the Lord is at hand. Let your moderation be known unto all men. The Lord is at hand. And the Bible said in Hebrews 10, 25, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another so much the more as we see the day approaching, not only our moderation, but also our assembling with the people of God. Now, I don't know why, but in this day, it seemed like there's so much slackness when it comes to attending the house of God. And I don't know why people think it's okay for them just to stay out because they felt like staying out of church. What does it say to the Sunday school teacher when you stay out of over one of your, your flimsy excuses that they've studied and prepared all week long to try to teach a lesson and they, they get there and they realize there's only going to be two people or three people in the class. What does it say to the man of God who's tried to pray for you and your family and those you've asked us to intercede for? What does it say to him who has tried to get a message from God, preached his heart out and stood in the gap and made up the hedge? What does it say to those who come to sing and the choir who stands up and those who come to sing and offer their talents to God? And the Bible said in 1 Peter 4, 7, but the end of all things is at hand. Be you therefore sober and watch in the prayer. Oh, you and I should see the very hour in which we're living in, it should exhort us to moderation and sobriety. It should exhort us to faithfulness. And oh, a life which is not challenged and committed and changed by the truth of God is a life that is out of touch with the Lord Jesus Christ. And I don't know what it is about us. I think sometimes we've got so familiar with the things of God that we know, we know what's wrong with us, but we're not really willing to get it right with God. I don't know why you think it's okay for you to hold on to your sin, but I'll tell you this, at the coming of Christ, you're going to wish you had put it behind you. Amen. No, tonight as God helps us in this service this evening, there's an immediate blessing for obedience to the child of God. There's ultimate blessing. And I want to say there is his coming and the responsibility to be prepared and to obey God and to obey his word. In Luke's gospel chapter 12, and you yourselves like unto men that wait for their Lord when he will return from the wedding that when he cometh and knocketh, they may open unto him immediately. So you and I are to live like we're waiting for the coming of Christ. My daddy worked a second shift when I was probably in the worst state of rebellion against my mama and him. And uh, many times that little lady would try to straighten me out or get a hold of me. One evening we were down there in the basement of that old farmhouse where the washer and dryer were. And uh, she was telling me something to do and I didn't want to do it. So I was in rebellion. My mom was in no nonsense. She wasn't like some of these women today. She would jerk a knot in your hind end. She would. She didn't say, oh, don't whip him. You don't want to hurt his spirit. You don't want to hurt his will. You don't want to hurt his spirit. She jerked up the broom handle and come for me and was getting ready to lay it on me. If I hadn't took it away from her, she would have given me some stripes with it. 
and I took it away from her and I wouldn't let her whoop me with it. She looked at me, she said, I'll let your daddy deal with you when you get home. Now I'm gonna tell you, when I, I got to waiting for him to come home, I was not happy, I was not filled with joy, I was not excited about my daddy's return. And if you're not living for God, you're not excited about the Lord's return. But the Bible said, blessed are those servants whom the Lord when he cometh shall find watching. Luke chapter 12, verse 37. You and I are to be watching. We're to be waiting for the bridegroom. We're to be watching for the master. And the Bible teaches us we ought to be working for the coming of the Lord. How is it you've come to believe that you don't have to do this and you don't have to do that? And you know, that's just for the preacher and a few of the Sunday school teachers and leaders of the church. How is it that you've come to believe that it's all right for you to have a disobedient life and God be pleased with you. One of the reasons we're not having revivals is because we thumbed our nose at God so long about his commandments and we've acted like what he said don't really matter. Why, if we don't feel like coming to church, we'll just sit at home. No matter what the preacher's done to get ready, no matter what preparation's been done, no matter what prayer's been offered, I'm telling you there's going to be a judgment seat of Christ one day and you and I are going to have to face God. And the Bible said, blessed is that servant whom his Lord when he cometh shall find so doing. Blessed is that servant that if Christ would come during the prayer room time, would be found in the prayer room. Blessed is that servant when Sunday school hour starts, when Christ would find them in the Sunday school class. Blessed is that servant when the time comes, hallelujah, how to go out in the highways and hedges, that Christ will find them faithful in the highways and hedges. Oh, there's a blessing for those who give attention to his coming and their responsibility. There's a lot of people that believe, well, somebody will do it. I found out in pastor now 30 years, somebody does not go here. The devil's told some of God's people they don't have to do anything if they don't feel like it. And some of you have been living like that for years. And I want to say tonight at the judgment seat, at the coming of Christ, it's really going to matter whether or not you obey God. Because secondly, his coming is not only related to keeping the word of God or our responsibility. But secondly, his coming is related to our rewards. Now, you listen to all the gospel songs. They, they say everybody's going to get to heaven and put on a crown. Everybody that gets to heaven is not going to have a crown. You study this Bible. In fact, some people are going to get to heaven and they're not even going to have rewards at all. Because their rewards are going to go up in smoke at the judgment seat of Christ. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 12, this is what the Bible said about the judgment seat of Christ. Now, if any man build upon this foundation, gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble, every man's work shall be made manifest. For the day shall declare it, for it shall be revealed by fire. And the fire shall try every man's work of what? Sword it is. It's not going to be how well you can talk about it. It's going to be what sword it is. And the Bible said, if any man's work abide, which he hath built thereupon, he shall receive a what? Now, if any man's work abide, that man is going to receive a reward. But what about this other? The Bible said, if any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss, but he himself shall be saved, yet so as by fire. So they're going to go to heaven like Lot left Sodom. They're going to go to heaven and everything he worked for went up in fire when the fire fell on Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities of the plain. 
So the idea that everybody's going to receive a reward, there are going to be some that are going to lose their reward. And the Bible said, look to yourselves that you lose not the things which you have wrought, but that you receive a full reward. The second promise concerning Christ's coming reveals that he will reward believers for their labor. Now, it's not only a misnomer to say that every person's going to receive a reward, not if their works don't abide the judgment seat of Christ. But every person that goes to heaven is not going to receive a reward. Some of those rewards are going to go up in smoke at the judgment seat of Christ. And it's a misnomer to say when a person dies, they go to their reward. Because the reward does not come until the judgment seat of Christ. And the Bible said in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 10, there's another mention of the judgment seat of Christ. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse number 10. These are heart-searching verses of Scripture. May God search us and help us to get our lives in order and ready for the judgment seat. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and the Bible said this in verse number 10. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. So if it goes up in smoke and you stand there with the smell of smoke all over you because your works were wood, hay, and stubble, he told that to the church at Corinth that was constantly full of envy, strife, and division. That's what they were the best at. They were the best at fighting and fussing and dividing up fussing with each other, but the judgment seat of Christ is coming. The coming of Christ for his bride precedes the judgment seat of Christ. Therefore, believers will not truly receive their reward until after Christ comes for his bride. The prospect of rewards at his coming ought to be a challenge for us. Now, one day, Jesus will bring your life in review. And I don't know if this sobers you, but it ought to. You're not going to answer to Brother Darrell. You're not going to answer to Bobby Kemp over here. You're not going to answer to Brother Gary. You're not going to answer to all the people you convinced that you're spiritual. You're going to answer to the God who knows you, not in your Sunday best, but who knows you from the inside out. He looks right through your pepsodent smile. He looks right through the facade of the outside and looks right into the inside of us and knows all about us. And you and I are going to have our motives tried, not just our methods. The fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. Some people that are being congratulated here in this world, their works are going to go up in a puff of smoke at the judgment seat of Christ. I have been places where the church runs hundreds of people. But if you saw them on Monday, they wouldn't look much like they even went to church anywhere. And the pastor, if you saw him on Monday, you wouldn't think he was even a preacher at all. And his wife, if you work with her and you said to her, and I've, listen, these are all personal experiences. I said, ma'am, if you die today, do you know whether or not you'd go to heaven? She said, I don't know the whole Bible. I said, ma'am, I didn't ask you if you knew the whole Bible. I ask you, if you die today, do you know whether or not you'd go to heaven? That's a pretty simple question. A Baptist preacher's wife that don't know whether or not she can give you an answer about whether or not she's going to heaven if she died today. 
Here we are. The promise of the believer's compensation from Christ is a blessing from God. His faithfulness is exercised in remembering every deed. Hebrews chapter 6 verse 10. The Bible said that God has not forgotten what we have done for him. Others may have looked the other way, but Jesus has not forgotten. For God is not unrighteous to forget your work and labor of love, which is showed toward his name, that you minister to the saints and do minister. You see, you may not have seen what has been done But our Lord has kept an unerring record. He has kept a record of every visit, every work, every obedience, every command, obey. He has kept a record of things you forgot about. And the Bible said he's not unrighteous to forget. And he rewards every believer for their works. Believers can win five different crowns. In spite of the popular gospel songs, every Christian is not going to walk around heaven with a crown on. In fact, some of them will not win a crown at all. Those crowns I'll not go into tonight, but then even beyond those crowns are other types of rewards. The Bible promises us that if we give a cup of cold water in the name of a disciple, we would not lose our reward. I thought about this the other day. I was thinking about going down into Rockingham and preaching at the flea market with a couple of young preachers. Actually, we had about four or five. And we'd go down to Rockingham to the flea market. We asked the owner, we said, we want to come down and preach, but we want to ask you for permission before we came on your property. We know it's private property. And the man said, sure. He said, there's a lot of people down here need to be preached to. And so I figured out that there's a little road that goes straight through, splits that, that flea market. And our guy said, we'll stand right there near that crossing. Everybody that comes back and forth has got to come by there. And we were giving out the gospel. And there was a young man in the church there. And he was preaching the gospel with all his mind. People were listening all around. You could see people at their tables looking and listening. And when he got done, he was soaking wet with sweat. And I watched the dear lady over there at a table. And she, she got a bottle of water and she picked it up and she crossed the road over there. And she said, here, son, she said, I really appreciate you coming out here and preaching the gospel out here. And she gave him a bottle of water. Oh, that lady will not lose her reward. At the judgment seat of Christ, there's rewards for those of us that have labored for Christ. And our works will be evaluated at the judgment seat. In fact, every idle word that is spoken, Jesus said, men shall give an account of in the day of judgment. Every word spoken that should not have been said. I was in the barber shop one day years ago and there was a man in the chair. I found out that he was actually kin to the man that was the barber. And this man that was in the chair was talking about his pastor. I did not know his pastor. I did not butt into the conversation. There were other men in the barber shop to get a haircut. This man was an officer in the church and talking about his pastor. I don't want to repeat the awful things he said about this man of God. I didn't know this man. I didn't know the man that was, that was talking about his pastor. I thought as I sit there how often it is, there's probably these men in this, in this barbershop that are lost. This man who says he's a Christian is talking about his pastor. These men that don't want to really have a relationship with God, don't want to have a, an excuse to go to church or anything to do with God, are listening to this man run down his pastor. And I'll tell you, when he got done, 
I had to get a haircut that day, but I told my son when we got in the car, I said, I will never be back to this barber shop because the barber was kind of agging him on to get him to talk about his pastor. You know, it'd been a whole lot better for that man to get on his knees and tell God about his differences or his quarrels, the faults that he found, rather than air it out before somebody and a whole barber shop full of lost people that need the gospel and need to be saved. And you and I that are born again, listen, we ought to hold our tongues and we ought to be challenged to live in light of his coming. Shouldn't you and I be conscious of the fact that Jesus is coming and will be evaluated by him at his coming? Number three. The Bible teaches us his coming is also related to reassurance in verse number 20. The scripture said, he which testified these things saith, surely I come quickly. This is the final testimony concerning Christ's return in the scripture. It comes directly from Jesus himself. I heard about a preacher that was up and it was in the day where these lapel mics had first come out and at that time you had to plug them into a jack. Back during the 80s, they would even do that. At Camp Zion, you'd see a man and he had a lapel mic on, but it had a wire going down to a jack on the platform. And he was preaching from this passage and he was saying, behold, I come quickly. And everybody's kind of looked at him like a cow looking at a new gate. And his precious lady up here on the front row, an old saint of God that loved preaching, loved God, loved Jesus. He said it again, behold, I come quickly. They all looked at him, finally come down off the platform. And when he did, he got tangled up in the cord and he fell on that dear precious lady. And he said, ma'am, he said, I'm so sorry. She said, sir, it's all right. You told me two times you were coming down here. I just didn't understand what you were saying. (laughs) But Jesus is telling us himself that he is coming. And in this passage of scripture, Bible gives us the assurance, the reassurance that he's coming. I'm sure of this. I'm sure that he's coming. I'm sure of that. I'm sure that I'm going. Are you sure that you're going? Are you sure that you're going? I don't want to leave you behind because what's waiting on you is far worse to go through that and then go to the lake of fire. Oh, the Bible gives us this coming as a comforting hope. 1 Thessalonians 4, in a few days we'll stand by a graveside of one of our sisters here in the church. And the Bible said about all of that, that you and I in light of the Lord's return ought to comfort one another with these words. One day we're going to meet again in the clouds. The Bible said we'll be caught up together with them in the clouds. And it's a comforting hope. John reveals it's a calming reassurance. John said, even so, come Lord Jesus. In fact, before he said that, the Bible said, he said, amen. Now in some places, amen is not really a welcome statement. I was in a funeral one time and a preacher was preaching really good and in fact, Larry Beaver was there that day and he was sitting down towards the front. I got there, had to drive a distance and this man was up preaching and I'll tell you, he's preaching good. He's preaching so good, the amen started coming out. Hey, man! And people up toward the front started doing like this. Who was that back there saying amen? 
To them, amen is an interruption, but not to God and not to the Bible. Amen is a biblical term. In fact, Revelation 3.14 said Jesus is the amen. And the word means so be it. Let it be done or truth, truth, or so be it. Let it be done. John is affirming the promise of his coming by saying, amen. I believe it, I affirm it, I concur, and I say, let it be done. So John believed in the imminence of the coming of Christ in the first century. He declares his faith in Christ's return by saying amen to the one who is the amen. So amen comes from John, and not only that, even so come Lord Jesus. John reveals his strong desire for Jesus to return. Some of us may not have as strong a desire because of nagging thoughts on our mind about the destiny of those that we love, and I fully understand that. In my prayers daily, I have prayed for those that I love. In fact, I've even prayed for those you love that they will come to Christ before Jesus returns for us. There's an invitation here from Christ in verse 17 to sinners. He's concerned about them. He's inviting them. Now listen carefully. Not only is there an invitation from Christ, there's also an invitation from a Christian for the Lord to come. He's inviting Christ to return. I wonder if somehow we could put these two together and think for just a minute that if we really believe that Jesus is coming like we say we do, shouldn't we really be living our lives in such a way that if he came, our life would not be so full of regrets about things that we have not accomplished? I fear in my own life that the reason why some of them have not been accomplished lays at fault with me, that I have not been effective as God desires for me to be as a Christian. So I leave that fault, and I know that I'll have to face Christ at the judgment seat. I know that I'll have to face Christ. Some of you go to a public job every day, and I thank the Lord for that. You're among some of those in America that are gainfully employed, and that's a blessing from God. But I've lived long enough in my life to come in on a Monday and say, did you know that fellow over there overdosed over the weekend? I said, really? He said, yeah, he didn't make it back. Did you know that this one here had a heart attack and they didn't come in this morning because they died? Boy, I said to myself, Lord, did I take advantage of the opportunity when I had it to witness? And honestly, there's not many times I don't think I should have done more to reach them with the gospel of Christ. And I'm thinking that a lot of us are not sober enough tonight to realize that the devil has kept some of us busy, not in sin necessarily, but busy in the things that we need to do, yet not balanced with the things that God has asked us to do. Our leaving here will mean there'll be an arrival in that land that is fairer than day. But I want to remind you that God says long after the judgment seat of Christ that he's going to wipe away tears. He's not going to wipe away tears until after the judgment seat of Christ. In fact, really, if you want to be 
technical about it. It's even after the white throne judgment. God is going to wipe away tears after we face Christ at the judgment seat. Then he's also not going to wipe away tears until we face others at the great white throne that we should have given the gospel to. Some neighbor, some friend, some loved one. I was seated at a family gathering years ago and I had not been saved but a handful of years. I was already preaching. I think I've been saved about five years. I came and in some family gatherings, you, you might be the only Christian present. What a lot of them will say is they'll set their plate down and the next thing you know they start and then they say, oh, we're going to have Tommy pray. We sat down in the living room and this man wanted to start a conversation and I'm glad he did. And when he started the conversation with me, the thing that came out of his mouth was this. He said, Tommy, he said, if a man lives all his life, he tries his best to take care of his family. He pays his bills. He cares for his children. You know, all noble things he was listing off that a person ought to do. He said, when he dies, where will he go? Boy, and you could have hear a pin drop when he got to the end of the question. I looked straight at him and I said, if a man dies without Christ... When he dies, no matter how well he's done for his wife and family, if a man dies without Christ, he'll go straight to hell. And there were several people in that room that professed to be saved. And every one of them hung their head and he hung his head. And I said, if a person does not know Jesus Christ as their Savior, they will go to hell without him when they die. And I want to tell you, It's never been any harder to look at those you love and have to tell them what their fate is if they reject Christ. A lot of them look at you and I as weirdos and strangers in this world. And I don't mind being called a stranger. That's exactly what I am. I don't belong here, but I'll tell you this. I'm going to a land and I want you to go with me. And I want you to be saved. I don't want you just to be a member of the church here. I don't want you just to have a profession of faith. I don't want you just to fill up the pews here. I want you to have your name written in the Lamb's book of life. I want you to know Jesus as your Savior. Now I want to say you better examine yourself. One of these days, Jesus is coming. His coming is going to mean you and I are going to face Him at the judgment seat. I don't think it's going to be as easy as some people imagine. In fact, when you get to the judgment seat and He asks you why, Why didn't you do this? You knew it was right. Why didn't you do this? You knew it was right. I'm talking about you and I facing him at the judgment seat. He's going to say, you knew people were going to hell. You knew that the majority of Kannapolis was going to hell and you couldn't take one day to go with the gospel. I don't think it's going to go well. Some of us ought to come tonight and say, Lord, I've failed you in these areas. I've failed you, Lord. But I want to come and ask you, Lord, to forgive me. I want to pick up from here and go forward. Let's stand with our heads bowed.